people get on our refrigerator because people get it on the front of people's refrigerators get prayed for. Ups and uh, we're so thankful for all of our setup team and those who come and give their time and talent behind the scenes. Um, as we begin our uh, new series, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark this week, and then from there, I'm going to take two weeks off on our topic that uh, Jesus brings before us today. And so, as we get into this this morning, I figure I'd give you a little quiz here. So, yeah, this is, uh, we'll start with this one here. We'll go with this. Uh, this is a handy-dandy invention, right? How many of you ever like sit around your house? It's like one of the best fidgeting things ever. Bubble wrap. There's big bubbles, small bubbles, and it's just so fun. Maybe I'll do this the whole sermon. What was bubble wrap originally made for? In the 70s, late, well, early 70s, kind of 60s. Wallpaper. Yeah, they put wallpaper on it, put a cool texture on the wall. Bubble wrap. Yeah, and, and so guess what? It didn't sell because shortly after that, a better invention came along with uh, uh, a little bit of a vinyl wallpaper. And uh, many of you have spent hours trying to remove that because it's not as much of the trend anymore. Uh, maybe it is for you, no offense, but in, in general, it's not. Um, yeah, so they had this, but its original use didn't quite work out. And so they soon realized it could work, and IBM bought some from them for uh, wrapping up their equipment, and that started for them a whole new industry of the bubble wrap. And then there's Play-Doh. Lovely Play-Doh. These inventors came up with this. And uh, what was its original use? Anybody? No, Play-Doh's original use. Wallpaper cleaner. For the original, not the vinyl, but they, it used to be able to be rubbed and taken on to, to clean up the walls. And uh, pretty soon that wasn't selling either, and they realized people really like playing with this, and if you change the color of it, kids love it. And so that Play-Doh company eventually took off. Uh, you know, and as we look at these things and we think about it, now today we uh, take these kind of things and what do we call them? We call them hacks, right? And so you can look up and there's 14 handy cleaning hacks. You take a product and use it for what it's not necessarily intended for, but it works well for another purpose. And the most famous of all hacks are IKEA hacks, right? You can go and you can do uh, something you would find at IKEA with your own things in your own home. Ironically, now Play-Doh's gone in reverse. The Play-Doh hack is to help you use clean to clean things, but that's originally what it was made for. Uh, and if we look at these things and we begin to walk through, we'll see that there's a lot of controversy that's going to be continuing to build around Christ. And uh, really, the idea of taking something that was originally used for and either getting back to its purpose or, or finding a new purpose for it. It's going to be the whole ministry of Jesus in trying to explain the gospel and how the church is going to function and how the Jewish beliefs and the teachings and the law and the prophets flow into the gospel and how that begins to work will be actually over the next several decades in their world they would have to begin to work to figure this out. And Really, all of those things were made for one thing. Hacks come out of the idea of convenience. 
We love convenience. We love things to be easy and accessible and better for us. That's why we have these things called convenience stores where everything's inside of it. You can stop at one place and pick up things while you're traveling, whether it's a charger or a drink or something to eat or some medicine. We love things to be convenient. And as we enter back into Mark uh, chapter 2 today, uh, it's not much different than the feel of the disciples. Jesus and his disciples are walking across the wheat field, and it's about harvest time. And as they're walking across, uh, they just get some of the seeds, kind of like a sunflower seed, crack it open, blow away the chaff, and pop it in their mouth as they're walking through the fields. Well, this time they had become so popular in their ministry that we talked about it last week, all eyes were on them. Anything they did was going to be scrutinized, and they didn't even have the paparazzi or TV or the internet to spread it, but it spread quick. Did you hear what Jesus and his disciples did? Did you hear how they did this? Well, the problem happened to be that that little activity of walking across that field and having a little snack happened on the Sabbath. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Mark <clears throat> chapter 2, starting in verse 23. It says this, One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why, why are they doing that? Why, what that? why are they doing that which is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he began to, to look at him and say, you know, you guys are, are sinning. You're allowing your disciples to sin. Just as last week in the passage before this, they said, why are your disciples not fasting when John's disciples and our followers, they fast and they add extra fast. And so they begin to criticize him and to build up this case against him. And it, it looks... To me, it seems pretty messed up. Seriously, millions of grains in this field, and you're going to get picky over one or two. They were hungry, and they picked them to eat. Especially if you understand that in the Old Testament law, it says in De Deuteronomy, if you enter into a neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels of grain with your hands, but you may not harvest or put a sickle to the grain. So they already had a provision for this. The problem became that it happened on a Sabbath. And it sounds like a broken record, but this Sabbath is a big issue. Uh, last week we talked about uh, the idea of old wine and new wine. If you put new wine into old wineskins, it bursts, and you lose everything, it spills out. Well, in Jesus' ministry and this tension between he and the Pharisees, it's about to burst. i give you a little preview of where we'll get to in a couple weeks just the next few verses, you can peek at him, but so much so is his Sabbath controversy. When he heals somebody on the Sabbath, they then burst, and the plot to kill him begins. And it's all surrounding this idea of Sabbath and what happens. The Pharisees had domesticated uh, this real faith into what they thought were humanly attainable standards, um, which made it impossible for them to fathom that Christ's disciples were not breaking the Sabbath when they walked through this field because it was their rules they had set up to help them follow this idea of Sabbath. And so 
The intent of the Sabbath command was always to rest and not work, but the Pharisees interpreted this and declared that to pick grain was to harvest, and therefore you were working. In fact, uh, I've said this before, but it's my favorite one. If you walked along and you happened to spit out a seed or something on the ground and your foot hit it, then you're harvesting and or then you're planting and sowing seed possibly, so you broke the Sabbath. And if you do a historical study, they're line after line of things that they thought would help them. So Jesus responds, but he does so in an interesting way. He points them back to a situation that didn't have to really do with Sabbath. He, he says this, he says to them, have you never read what David did? Now David is the, the king of Israel, this revered man after God's own heart. And so if David did it, it must be okay. And he says, well, David, um, when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, uh, who entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and they ate the bread of presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And so... Uh, Fresh loaves were brought in each week uh, to put on the, the table of presents. And then the ones that were replaced, the priests were allowed to eat those. And the bread that was placed there was not to be touched during that week. It was uh, for the Lord. And although this action of David was contrary to the law, he wasn't condemned for it. Jesus is pointing that out. He's saying there was a real human need there. David was in a tough time, and they needed some nutrients. And it's one of those situations where, like, logic should preside here. Human needs should preside, not just these little rules that we have. Sometimes going around the world will actually serve us better or serve somebody better in a time of need. And he's trying to point this out. Hey, listen, David did that. None of you are sitting here griping about that. Look, it was David and his men. And yet, they still could not let go of this. Now, Jesus here is not claiming that what his disciples did was not against their traditions. He wasn't saying it didn't happen. Or, but what he was saying is that under certain conditions, that violation should be warranted, as with the work of healing others, which would be another issue that comes upon him in the next few chapters. But the Pharisees couldn't handle this reasoning from scripture or from history um, and they got more and more anger um, jesus was trying to show them that human need is higher than religious ritualism and um, then he states his own authority <laughs> and then he really crosses the line because what did he close he closes and says and he said to them the sabbath was made for man not man for the sabbath so the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> it's like, listen, I'm the son of God. I set Sabbath into place. Shouldn't I get to tell you how it works now that I'm here? <laughs> and uh, they understood the authority he was claiming, and that angered them even more. But uh, to J Jesus, the Sabbath wasn't created just for the sake of a religious thing. It was a gift of God to us. And so this morning we want to wrestle with this question, what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? And in order to understand that, we need to understand and kind of launch into a whole picture of 
uh, what the Old Testament and what the Bible says about it so that we can understand when it was established and if it has any bearing on our lives today. And so here in Exodus 20, um, we can read that the Sabbath that the Pharisees were referring to is the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. So remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath, which was Saturday for them, uh, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. And so this actually is the, uh, one of the commandments with the longest explanation of how to live it out. Uh, it became even longer throughout history. And as they began to work through this, how do we understand this? Well, this was given to the nation of Israel as they came out of slavery. <laughs> For hundreds of years in captivity under Egypt, they were worked and worked and worked. They had no freedom over their schedules. And it was a burden. And they were pushed to the core. And they didn't know what a routine of Sabbath was like. And so God established it in these Ten Commandments so that they could begin to reconnect with Him and worship Him, uh, something they were not allowed to do for hundreds of years. Now, this was establishing a whole new rhythm of life for them. And uh, as they began to enter into this, uh, the word Sabbath itself means to cease, uh, to stop, to stop working in in particular. To Sabbath was to um, not do anything related to work for a 24-hour period each week. And so, um, ceasing to work for a 24-hour period each week. And so that happened to be uh, sundown on Friday till sundown on Saturday for them. And it was really designed to spend time not just with family, but with the Lord. It was to be holy, to set apart a day cut above the rest. Um, to be thankful for what God has given you. And the intent was the Jewish people not on, uh, for them not to work, and so intent were they to follow these commandments that um, they began, and the entire intent was lost. <laughs> they began to get off track <laughs> and make it their own thing and make it about keeping the Sabbath instead of realizing it's a gift from the Lord to have a day to rest from work. And they lost track of that. A good gift from God taken and twisted. And so it's lost its sweetness and its joy. See, Jesus points out the absurdity of these, this thinking and saying, you know, basic human needs should be met. If there's a man who's lame for his whole life, shouldn't I not be able to go up to him and say, you are healed? Or have him spit and make dirt, put it on their eyes so they can see. He's like, you've lost sight of the whole point. And even a contemporary rabbi of the time, uh, we found writings of him, and, and it was taught that the, the Sabbath is for you, a gift. And it's not something that is its own thing, that's just supposed to control and bring down your lives and be an extra burden upon you. And so, as we talk about this, uh, it, it's a challenging idea of, okay, how do we know Sabbath applies today? Does it apply today? Does it look the same? Why do we meet on Sundays? Um, why don't we have Sabbath on Saturdays? 
handling the Old Testament can be pretty challenging. And so I could do a whole series on that, and I'll disciple you on that. And today I want to make two points just to help us understand how do we understand the Old Testament. First, context is king. Who, what, when, where, why, and how something happened set in its historical setting matters. That's how we get to the understanding of the text, whether it's a, a, a piece of poetry or it's a narrative piece of historical writing. We have to understand the context to understand what is being said. Context also includes the whole of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We understand the gospel and who Christ is. And so now some of these passages in Isaiah, we can look back and say, that suffering service servant, that is Jesus. <laughs> that one who would crush Satan's, uh, Satan with his heel, that is Jesus. We can point back and we can look and even see how things have been fulfilled by the Lord. His promises have come true. And so context is king. We've got to read it. And I know that we see and you've heard and on good and the bad side, people take a verse from the Old Testament and use it to show how hateful Christianity is. Or take a verse that is a specific situation, specific promise with specific people and apply it to everybody as if God's bound to follow that same pattern every time. And so... Our second point is God's story reveals to us God's unchanging character. God's story reveals to us God's unchanging character. And so as we look at this and we understand Scripture within its context, uh, I always like to ask this question, what does God say about God's Word? <laughs> Let's go to him first before uh, what Kevin says doesn't mean much. God says this, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. And so all Scripture is equally infallible. It's equally authoritative and from the Lord. But not all of it is equally applicable to my life. Some things reveal about who God is and about what he has done in history. Um, but they don't apply directly to me. So if we understand this and we walk uh, through this, we begin to see that specific people, specific times, with specific promises and commands. For instance, when we have Gideon. Gideon goes and he, he's told by the Lord, you need to go and lead this army. Go down by the water. Those who drink one way, you keep. Those who drink the other way, you don't keep. Now, is that the way I need to select people every time for something? No. But it shows the character of God that we can trust in the Lord, that he is faithful. And he was teaching Gideon that as the numbers whittled down, it's about God's power, not his own. And so we can see God's character at work. Through many of the laws and the ways he interacts with people, we can understand how holy and righteous God is. And then we can see how merciful he is to people. So his character is unveiled throughout the scriptures of who he is. And his character is unchanging. And he's built that as part of who we are. So whether something's listed a hundred times or one time for morality, we all kind of know innately inside of us that murder is wrong. Now he puts it in the Ten Commandments to remind them that it's wrong. But we know 
That's part of who God made us to be because part of his character, being made in the image of God, we understand right from wrong. There's a baseline of morality that science can't explain because it comes from the Lord and it's put inside of us. And so as we look at this and we begin to talk about the Sabbath, we understand that the Sabbath um, was not something that was brand new. Look at the end of this. It says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day as very good and made it holy. <laughs> the Lord blessed the seventh day. The Lord blessed it. In the moment of creation, he set aside Sabbath. So the Ten Commandments didn't start it. It reinstated it. It helped them to understand God's rhythm that they had gotten away from that people have gotten away from and that we've gotten away from today. So we can understand that Sabbath, the idea of resting in the Lord, is part of how he built our world, part of how he reveals his character to us. Now, over the, the next two weeks, I'll be sharing with you more and more research that I found about rest. It's amazing. These scientists are uncovering all these things saying, man, we are actually more productive, more creative, and some of the best things in history, you're going to find out, happen when people were in active rest and choosing to intentionally rest. Because that, in my view, is how God created us. They're discovering what God has put in us. And they're saying, oh, look, it's brand new. Instead of working people 24-7, if we give them breaks, there actually is some more productivity, especially in areas of inventing and creativity and writing and things like that, or problem solving. All of these discoveries are pointing back to the truth that God embedded with us in the beginning of creation. And so, as we look at that and understand it, the context tells us the Sabbath was established prior to the Ten Commandments. And this principle of rest is taught throughout Scripture. Jesus said, Come to me, you who are heavy laden, and learn... And he says, take my yoke. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you will find rest for your soul. And the New Testament points us forward to rest. An eternal rest that is tied with the gospel and our salvation and being with God forever. A rest from the weariness and the heartache of this world. The Psalms are embedded with delighting in the Lord, resting in the Lord, placing our burdens at his feet. And so rest is part of the character of God. And it's his original design for us. The brokenness uh, in our world caused by sin has made work toil. It's part of the curse. Work is hard and rest is hard to attain. Our souls are restless because we're separated from our creator. But in the gospel, we're made new. And God is working to make us holy as Jesus is holy. And the call to Sabbath is a return to our original design. Once we accept Jesus Christ, he works to make us more and more like him. He tried to peel off that sin and to let more and more of his light break through in us. We call that being new, uh, transformed, spiritual growth. However you want to label it, God changes us from the inside out. 
part of that change is to fight against our culture and to fight against these rhythms that try to steal our joy and steal our relationship with the Lord and what he intended for us. Can we swim against the current? Well, moving in this forward, we're moving forward, we'll see more and more scriptures that begin to build a picture of what this is. But we need to understand that since the Sabbath was made for man, Jesus, who is Lord of the Sabbath, has authority to determine its use. And so uh, the Sabbath was made for us as a gift from God. The Sabbath is designed to build a rhythm to our lives of reconnecting with and relying on God. In Hebrews, we're going to see it talks about uh, just how one day is no more special than any other day. And we need to set apart in our hearts one day is special to the Lord. And we're going to talk about how it's not so much about following the exact rules and rhythms that the Israelites have, but really seeking to have a rhythm of reconnecting and relying on God. That's going to be hard. It's going to be hard for many of us because of your employer, because of your season of life, uh, whether you're, you've got kids or you're empty nester or you've got young kids or older kids, there's always things to do. It's hard because our culture doesn't stop anymore. Stores are open all the time. Sports happen all the time. And it's hard because we think of ourselves, and it's just ingrained in us, if you stop, you're lazy. <laughs> if you stop, you're not doing what you should be doing. You're not going to get ahead. You're not going to advance your family. You're not going to make it. And so Jesus' pronouncement wasn't quite as radical as we think it was a return <laughs> kind of like plato a return to its original use but we are going to find some different hacks as we go throughout these weeks on little ways you can begin to move towards the ideal we're not going to get there in one sermon or one week <laughs> it, it takes time to build new habits and new rhythms and and maybe that this season in your life you're going to find a moment for god in other seasons you can find a chunk of time for god and you can do that as a family and begin to build around that. And so as we look at this, the Israelites, I mean, they were slaves. They had never experienced a rhythm of work and rest. They had neither permission nor the choice to do so. Living, performing tasks with one day just blurring into the next. Sounds kind of like our world today, doesn't it? One thing blurring into the next. We look up and we're like, Easter's here. How did that happen? I don't even remember. When's the last time? Uh, man, my goal, what was it to start the year? Or pray more or just read? I don't know. <laughs> it just gets going and going like a, a train. And it's, the momentum doesn't seem to stop here in the 21st century. But the truth is, we don't have to live that way. We can fight and find ways to reconnect with God, to reprioritize, and to experience the blessing of what he intended. Now, some of you may hear this next two weeks and make a radical shift in your life others of you may hear this and take small steps towards god and rest all of us have the opportunity however to embrace this as truth <clears throat> and even now you know i get the privilege of looking out here in your wonderful eyes and wondering i can see who had coffee and who needs coffee um, but even now but i can sense it 
because I struggled when God put this on my heart to preach about it. I'm like, this is unrealistic. I better start thinking about it myself. <laughs> well, the reality is if we don't think about it, you may get forced to think about it. And I'll share with you more about that in my own personal story uh, in the coming weeks. But the resistance is there. It's real because we're broken people. <laughs> and so today, the, the point is simple. Face the resistance and just ask yourself, am I going to accept this idea that God has rest for me? Am I going to remember the Sabbath day? A day set in very creation for us is a gift from God. You see, it's going to be so neat to see how God has designed this world and opened up doors for us to see everything that supports what he's already built in us. <laughs> and yet, we've got to take that truth and apply it. Um, so would you commit just this week, pray about it. Say, Lord, show me what Sabbath is. Lord, where are moments I can even find rest? Maybe you can't even see that right now or fathom it. What does rest look like for us as a family, Lord? Just don't, I, I don't want you to start planning and figuring out, trying to manage your schedules. I just want you to lay it at the Lord's feet this week. Say, Lord, what is this all about? Would you open my heart so I can understand where I need to rest in you? And maybe it's just this idea that I've got to have control of my life. If I don't, I don't know if I can really trust Jesus. And it's not like you just quit working altogether, but it's knowing when to stop and say, Lord, you've got this. I've got to stop. It's, it's taking me away from family, away from you. Just open my heart and mind and know more about your rest, Lord. Reveal to me how my life and family rhythms need to change and what I need to fight for to be the same. Uh, meeting with a group of pastors this week, and we're like all glad fantasy football's over because we needed to fight to put the phone down. We're like, man, we got to keep a balance on this. Um, be prepared, though. Be prepared because when you want to step into God's promises and God's gift to you, there's going to be a fight. It's going to be hard, and there's going to be guilt, <laughs> and there's going to be a struggle because I know that many of you don't control your schedules. You don't control your parents' schedule. You don't have control over your bosses or your company, and you need to have work. But God has something for you in this, whether it's a small step. I believe he has something for you that you can adjust and experience fruit. But you're going to have to fight for it. And remember, your creator has prepared good gifts in advance, good works for you to do and to walk in. And every gift from him is perfect and it is good. You see, these things will impact your life. And, uh, you know, how we're doing ministry and how we operate as a, uh, as a church, I want to lay that at the Lord's feet as well. Our goal from the beginning was to be simple not to fill your lives with a hundred things to do at incline, but to do some things well and equip and release you to go out and live as a disciple maker. And then provide trainings as we need to build up your theological understanding, your practical understanding, or just to encourage you and lift you up as you're going through life together. Well, that's what these triangles all represent. But I believe that if our hearts and minds are open to taking small, intentional steps to reconnect with our Creator, then God 
desires to unleash our life to greater impact, greater joy through Jesus Christ our Savior. And those aren't my words. Those are the very promises written in the scriptures. He wouldn't have said, go therefore into the world to make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all his commandments if it weren't possible to go out and see disciples being made. He wouldn't have told us to be his witnesses if he wasn't going to give us the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine? But do we want to control that or are we going to rest in the Lord and trust in him? And, uh, Let's go ahead and let's lay all of this at Jesus' feet this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, from the moment you began creation, you looked and each day you said, and it is good, and it is good. And you ended and you said, it is very good. And we know you don't need to rest, but you stopped and rested from your work of creation as an example for us and as a gift to us to remind us that you're the one in control. You're the one that made this world. You're the one that knows how we function all the way down to the smallest little molecule in our body. You know what we need. And science is just now continuing to catch up with what you've already had in the motion from the beginning of time. We're learning more and more about this body you created in your image how it's different than all of the rest of creation. And yet when we rest and we come face to face with our humanity and our temporariness and that we're just finite beings, we, we look to you, Lord, and when we rest, we have to stop and realize how awesome you are, how many gifts you've given us, and how utterly dependent we are on you for every breath. But Lord, some of us, I admit, we are so busy, we don't even stop to, to contemplate your beauty and goodness. We're just going one thing to the next to the next. This week, Lord, as a church and as individuals, we want to lay at your feet and just say, Lord, what is rest? What does it look like to rest in you? And then we'll move into what does it look like for me to rest in this season for my family? But right now, we just need to be at your feet and say, Lord, what is this rest? What does it mean that Jesus wants to take my burdens? It doesn't, how does that work? Help us to just be open and lay it at your feet this week. We're so used to seeking answers and, and having the solution right away. But this week, I just want to come before you and say, Lord, what is this? Prepare my heart to learn. Show me what I need to learn. Open my mind to learn from your scriptures, Lord. Even if it goes against everything I've been doing and ingrained to do, Show me what the rhythm of life is I need to best be effective for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.